You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good evening, everybody. Buenas noches. Robert Carrillo here. Uh, a little bit of surprise tonight. We don't have Reese. I'm substitute teacher, so uh, class behave. No, just kidding. Um, it's been really great having Reese do the midweeks. He's uh, done a fantastic job. Super proud of Reese. Uh, so grateful for he and Grace and and who they are to the region, but also who they are to Michelle and I. We've we we've just really developed a great friendship and and. Michelle and I love those guys so much. I'm cutting in here on the midweek because uh, I did a I did a class last Sunday for the leadership as part of our leadership training, and uh, several people thought it would be good for the whole region to hear this. And I thought about it. I thought, yeah, it would be good. So, so um, I'm going to be doing the class we did there, but also sharing a little bit of uh, other things as well for the region. But good to see you. Good to be together tonight. And. Um, um, I'm going to jump right on in, and uh, I want to say just a minute, uh, take a minute to say a little bit about the basic reentry plan. Um, I know that things are opening up, and, and there's a lot of confusion out there about what we're supposed to be doing and what we're not supposed to be doing, but most of it, though, at least for those of us who live in L.A. County, uh, we still got to be very cautious, and you know, if you don't have um, the report that was just sent out, uh, where we we're going to be sharing that and um, and and just to clear up some of the points. But right now we're basically still restricted in much the same ways we have been. We're not to gather in groups. We're not supposed to even go out unless we really need to. And if we really need to, we should be wearing masks. Um, prayerfully, in the next couple of months, we'll be able to start meeting again. Um, I'm, this is the basic reentry plan. And if you'll notice, there's there's no dates on there because basically... It just depends on uh, the dates that were given by the government. You know, uh, Romans 13, 1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So that's a pretty big statement. And, um, you know, basically the, the, the Bible, God is, the Holy Spirit is telling us that we just need to obey the government, you know, and it doesn't matter how we feel about the government and how we feel about the laws, but as disciples of Jesus, we should live in obedience. And, you know, Jesus paid taxes to Caesar. Caesar was clearly a corrupt government with lots of problems, but he did what was right, as he said, just to be a good example, right? To, to do what is right before men. Um, and then uh, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, verse 23, I have the right to do anything. Uh, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Um, or somebody with the older NIV says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So I know that some of us are just, we're tired of the quarantine. We're tired of the restrictions. Um, we've got to be really careful, though, that we're setting a good example. Recently, a church up in Northern California had a service, and they went ahead and did a Mother's Day service, even though we're not supposed to be doing that. And they found somebody the very next day that was found with COVID-19, and they had to quarantine the entire church, um, which was really bad. And, and um you know, just we don't we don't want to be an example of bad in the community. We want to be good examples. 
so we're we're listening closely, you know, and do everything in step. I know that you know Orange County opens up their beaches. I believe Long Beach did, and and we just got to be creative, you know. If we miss hanging out with somebody, you can go give blood together. You can go volunteer together. You can do something like that together, and um, just as long as you keep your mask on and 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 be careful. So our basic reentry plan is is four stages. Um, you know, we're at, at home services now. Uh, when we're allowed to, the first stage will probably be allowed to meet groups of 10 or less. Then we'll go to 10. So basically, it'll be Bible talks. And if you're in a larger Bible talk, you have to split the Bible talk. And we'll meet in Bible talks. And we'll still watch service on TV, just as we have been. But at least we'll get to do it together and encourage each other. Then when they allow larger groups than 10, um, and they're, they're still probably not going to be huge groups, but larger groups than 10, then we'll go to house churches which will be a Bible talk, a full Bible talk, or maybe two Bible talks together. Um, and then uh, the last stage will be when we get to go to full service and we go back to regional services. Although I doubt we'll ever go back to only regional services or sector services. It'll probably be a hybrid of house churches and regional services, depending on 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 what's available and the costs of everything. But I tell you one thing, and this is what I'm really proud of you guys about, is that we have just pulled together and pulled it off, so to speak. You know, uh, you know, meeting suddenly as we did in small groups and then going to just everybody being at home could have been a disaster for the church. We could have lost a lot of people. A lot of people could have gotten weak and fallen away and all kinds of problems. And we really haven't. People have stepped up, been staying close to each other. I know we have Zoom fatigue. But in a sense, that's a good sign because we've been getting together. We've been zooming it up, hanging out, encouraging each other. And that's fantastic. That, that I just, I want to tell you from Michelle and I's perspective, and I know the, the, the Webers feel the same. Uh, we're just very proud of you guys. Uh, this region has handled this challenge fantastically. So anyways, that's, that's that. That's, um, our basic reentry plan. So it'll go to, to Bible talks, then house churches, then full regional services, which will probably be a hybrid of different kinds of meetings. So the lesson tonight is the power of humility. Um, the power of humility. You know, this is, this is actually a book I want to write because I've learned so much about it. And humility is one of those things that nobody wants to be the one who writes the book on humility, because that kind of means you're kind of prideful if you think you're the one that knows everything about humility. Well, let me just say, I do not know. <laughs> I've been humbled many times in life, and maybe that's why I know something about humility, not because I'm naturally humble. Um, it is one of those radical things about Jesus that he talked about humility, that he told parables about humility, that he challenged people to be humble. Uh, in the classical world, there were the four, the four classical virtues, the four principal virtues. And, you know, you might think like before the church, how did somebody know whether somebody was a good person or not? You know, because for the last 2000 years, pretty much what the Bible has taught is how we have set our ethics and morals. Not so much anymore today, because this is the post-Christian era, but, but for about almost 2000 years, we judge things by what the Bible says. Well, what about before that? How did they judge somebody as a good person or not? Well, they used virtues. The four principal virtues were prudence. And that's, you know, think of prudence as 
as they are conservative. You know, they don't, they control, they're, they're not, you know, loud and aggressive, but, well, I should say they don't act in wild ways, but they're wise and careful. Uh, temperance, you know, self-control, you know, not, not out of control. Fortitude, being strong, driven, persevering, and justice, being fair. Those were the four big qualities. Uh, the Socrates, uh, I believe it was Socrates had a, uh, no, maybe it was Aristotle. But anyways, from the same time period, actually even a little bit previous, was the eight virtues of man. And they were courage, bravery, temperance, you know, being living in moderation, liberality, that was, you know, spending, taking care of others, uh, being generous, kind of magnificent, magnificence, which is uh, charisma, style, you know, just being out there. Magnanimity, which is also generosity. Another, just being gracious, being kind, being generous. Uh, ambition, which is pride. Um, patience, which is temper, being calm, and friendliness. You know, that's knowing how to work with people, how to interact with people, having good social IQ, right? These were the, the, the measures of a person, the measure of a man, the measure of a woman. These are how people decide that's a good person, that's not a good person. Well, the, nowhere in there was humility. In fact, what was in there was pride. And pride was lifted up, was looked up to. You know, I have this, the story of this famous bullfighter. Uh, it's a classic story. And, and he kind of embodied that image of pride, of strength, of power, of honor, of dignity, of showmanship, you know, magnificence, accomplishment, glory. Um, and it's kind of what the bullfighter was all about. I mean, look at that outfit. I mean, who would wear that outfit except somebody really trying to just show off? You know, it's covered with gold and lace and it's beautiful. And even the way they stand, they're supposed to stand like a rooster, you know, with the chest out and the neck and the chin up. And, and that was, they were kind of the image of pride. Well, there's, there's a classic story, but, I, but, you know, pride really, um, it leads us to a lot of bad things. Uh, it, pride leads us to compare with ourselves, to compare with our lives with other lives. Almost always a bad idea. As soon as we start comparing, we compare our lives to our neighbor's life, our lives to this sister or that brother or this person or that person, usually leads to discouragement because we tend to compare our lives to people that have more than us. And then we think, oh, woe's me, and da da da. I mean, the truth is, if we're going to compare at all, we should compare to people that that live around the world, and we'd realize how blessed we are and how much we have. But the truth is, we shouldn't compare at all, because it, it, it's just it's just very problematic. Almost never comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. We may feel like, oh, look at this, I'm 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 doing good, and I've got a lot of challenges. This person's not doing good, and they don't have half my challenges. You don't know what their challenges are and you don't know how hard their challenge. Maybe they have half as many, but maybe their half are a lot harder than your challenges. We just don't know. You know, I remember um, uh, this little thing that Michelle told me one time, I'll never forget. She said she learned one time that, you know, behind every jerk, there's a tragic story. And you know, it's actually true. I, I found that if you take the time to sit down and talk to somebody who's acting like a jerk, you usually find out they're hurting or something happened to them, you know, and, and not that that excuses their behavior, but there's a reason, right? There's a reason. And pride usually leads us to contrast. You know, we compare our strengths to someone else's weakness. 
Of course, we're always going to look good. You know, it causes us to compete with others, to want to be better, want to be faster, want to be more, want to, you know, why does he get to do that? Why does she get to do that? Why do they talk to her? Why didn't they mention, why did they mention that name, that person's name? Why did Robert say that about him and didn't say that about me? And, you know, we, we, we contrast, we compete. It's just not good. And then, of course, that leads right to criticizing where we criticize one another and, and we become despondent, you know, and that's, it's just, it's an ugly, ugly thing. And if we do all that, then it's very easy to condemn other people. We become judgmental and we condemn others. And that can be devastating for people. We don't want to be condemned. We don't want to be criticized. But it's very easy to quietly, subtly do that with others. Pride just feeds all that. And you can't even stop thinking that way. When we're, when we're being prideful, we just naturally do that. We sit down, we listen to a sermon, we pick it apart. We listen to somebody sing, we notice what's wrong with what they're doing. We walk around, we notice what everybody's doing wrong. That's when you know you're in your pride. You're, you're, you're getting consumed by pride. And, um, we condemn and, and, and what really shows pride is we become difficult to teach. We think we already know it. We think we've already, I've already heard that lesson. Oh, you know, that parable. Oh yeah. Heard that already. You know, oh, you know how many times I've heard somebody preach on that? Instead of being soft hearted, learning, growing and changing, it just bounces us off. It bounces off. It be, we become that fourth soil. Remember the parable of the soil, soils or the, the third soil, the first soil. Sorry. We become the first soil. It just bounces off. The word doesn't even get in, doesn't change us. And we're difficult to teach and we just don't change. We don't really change. Um, you know, one of my favorite a- questions when I'm training people is how easy are you to train? I love to hear what people say because the reality is how quickly they learn and adapt and make changes they need to. But sometimes we think, oh, you know, our good intentions, oh, I'm, you know, high level and, and, and trainability, but we're really not. And you got to remember that God is trying to train us. God is trying to make us into the image of Jesus. He's trying to make us like Jesus. Question is, how hard is it for him to change us? You know, does it, what, is the sermon enough to help us change? Is a good quiet time reading a scripture? Does that have an impact on our hearts or are we difficult to change? So I'll tell you the story of the bullfighter. So classic story. He was from Mexico City, very famous in Latin America. He goes to Spain and he wants to wow the crowds in Madrid and they pick one of the toughest, meanest bulls. And he's out there with a bull and they're doing the ole, ole, and they're cheering for him and he's just eating it up. And, and, you know, they stick those, those swords in the bull's back till they kill him. And, and he's sticking them in his back and finally puts the last one and the bull drops dead and the crowd cheers, you know, that this man single handedly faced this terrible bull and killed it and everything. And so he's bowing and he's looking around the crowd and he's taking on Way more bows than he's supposed to, but he's bowing down, but he's bowing down. Well, little does he realize that the bull actually wakes up, gets back up again, and comes after him. But, you know, he's so busy accepting all the applause that he didn't hear people yelling. And boom, the bull gets him from behind and sends him flying. And don't worry, he survived it. But you could tell by the picture, he's going to be sore for a while. He's going to have some pain. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. You know, that when we humble ourselves 
Humility gives us wisdom. Pride gives us disgrace. Pride always leads to our downfall. Here's our main scripture today. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, somebody should have read that bullfighter, the scripture, before he went out there. Um, but that's, that's, that, this is the radicalness of Jesus. This is the brilliance of Jesus is that, that the, that what's really powerful is not pride. Everybody's prideful. It's humility. That's what's rare. I mean, pride is human nature. Humility is divine. It's of God. And the more that we have God in us, the more humility naturally comes to us. I mean, I learned a long time ago, God don't, I, I learned a long time ago, not pray that God would humble me, but pray that God would make my heart humble, that God would just help me to be humble. And I've learned that the more of the spirit of God in me, the more naturally I can be humble. The less I have in me, the more naturally my nature takes over, which is to be prideful. And it is to sit there and critique. It is to, to compare and contrast and all those things that are just not good and not healthy for us. But the incredible thing is the promise from God that we humble ourselves. He will exalt us. He will lift us up. Um, there's just nothing like it. I love this scripture, James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? among you? Let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in humility, that comes from from wisdom. I love this, that our life should show our humility, our understanding, and it's shown by deeds done in humility. What are deeds done in humility? That'd be a good question for discussion later. What are my deeds done in humility? Um, what does that mean? I want to tell you a story about this brother. Um, his name is Vic. We moved to San Diego. We started going to church in South Bay, San Diego. And um, there was a brother that I met there, real nice brother. It's a picture of him here with his, with his granddaughter. And he'd be always out there early, more early church service. I'd always go in early because I would, you know, be doing something, communion or preaching or something. And um, and he'd be out there setting up the chairs. We met in a cafeteria. And, and I noticed that after church, he was always one of the last guys to leave picking up all the chairs, folding all the chairs. He'd have his two, his boys out there serving. They'd be sitting out the chairs and, and he was just a great guy, just a great guy. I'd talk to him sometimes and we'd get to talk and, and hit it off. We'd laugh. I, I just, I love this guy. His wife was incredible. She was a walking Bible. She just knew scriptures all the time and just a great, great family. And then one day he told me, he said, I, I'd like you to come and I think I did a prayer over a ceremony. At, uh, he was in the Navy. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And I've done some retirement ceremonies and at the, in the Navy. We had a lot of brothers in the Navy. So I go down there. And we, as we're going on the base, um, I tell the, you know, the guy, the guard at the gate, I'm here for, uh, for Vic Cooper's ceremony. And he goes, oh, you know. And he had told me that he's becoming a Commodore. I didn't know what a Commodore was. I know the Commodores, and I can tell you their songs, but I didn't know what a Commodore in the Navy was. Um, I had no idea. Um, so, but the, the, the guy, the guard at the gate goes like, Oh, that, 
Captain Vic Cooper. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. And he was super, he's great. And then right as he was saying that, one of the soldiers was walking up and he said, oh, you're here to see uh, uh, Captain Cooper's ceremony. Yeah, he's, I love that. He said, I'm in his, I'm on his ship. I love him being my CO and da, da, da. And they, both the guys were so fired up. I was like, wow, he's really had an impact. And then I go there and I find out that, first of all, he's a captain of a major ship. Right. And then not only is he a captain of a major ship, he's becoming a Commodore, which is like a captain's captain. Means he's going to have a group of ships under his command. You would have never known that at church. You never would have known that. He's the most humble guy walking around, setting up chairs, you know, and, and not, I mean, here he's got hundreds, maybe thousands of soldiers under his command. Not church. He takes the lowest position, the guy just setting up stuff, you know, for, for Sunday service. That's powerful. That's awesome. That is so like Jesus. You know, that's just, that's just so radically different from our world where everybody wants to be recognized, thanked, held up, highlighted in the spotlight. They want, they want, everybody wants to be famous wants to be appreciated, wants everybody to to glorify them. Really, it's our sinful nature of wanting to be glorified like God. And yet here's somebody who has lots to be proud of and is very, very, very humble. You know, and that is the way of Jesus. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. You know, we've all heard this scripture too. You know, this was God calling Isaiah. And and it said that, you know, it says, whom shall I send? God is always looking for people to serve, for people to, to, to help build the kingdom of God, right? Paul talks about how we're the house of God. We're the body of Christ. We are all fellow workers in God's kingdom. And so God is always looking, okay, who's going to build this wall? Who's going to put the windows in? Who's going to do the flooring? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? You know, we have all these videos because the brothers that have rolled up their sleeves, Turnwalls work day and night getting all these videos out. The, I see the crew working in Long Beach and I see the crew working in the West and everybody, I mean, we wouldn't have all this if they didn't roll up their sleeves and get out there. We see it, you know, with the worship team arriving early and setting up and practicing, the ushers arriving, preparing, the teachers out there, you know, going over the lessons, coming in, teaching our kids. The kingdom is built by people who say, here am I, send me. This is the heart that we always need to have. And, and, but we got to watch out. We got to watch out that we don't let pride keep in, creep in. And, and we start thinking that, that we should be recognized or honored or held up or, you know, Jesus told a parable. I think it's in Mark 12 about the, the workers in the field and some start early, some start late. And, and he said, and the ones that started early worked all day. They got mad because the ones who started late got the equal share. And what were they doing? They were comparing and contrasting. And you don't want to do that. I mean, I guarantee you somebody's got it worse than you. Somebody's got it rougher than you. 
Somebody has a life a lot harder. And we think, and we look at a family, wow, they've got a great family. They got a great house. They have a great car. That's not fair. You know, well, there are people that have no house and no car and you at least do, we have one. So it's just not a good idea. Don't let our minds go there. You can't let your mind go there. We need to be learned to be content in all situations and content about what we have. That's the key. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all situations, right? So here's what we have to keep in mind is that when God calls, it takes a humble heart to respond. A prideful heart's not necessarily going to respond. Prideful heart's going to want to know everything up front. You know, what's the expectation? How long? When God calls us, we need to have the heart of, here, my Lord, send me. Well, you don't know where you're going. Here, my Lord, send me. Abraham didn't know. A lot of the great people that God has called had no idea what they were going to face. Had no idea how challenging it would be. But that's a humble heart. That's the heart we need to have. Why we, what, what does it do? Well, well we got to realize it's great just to have a chance to serve. I mean, when God calls us, it's a good thing. The greatest thing is to serve. That's the great thing. That's what's good. That's what's great. It is better to give than to receive. And you say, what in the world does the, does the Ghostbusters have to do with serving and having a humble heart? I'll tell you what. These are a bunch of knuckleheads that were pulled together, made a team out of, and saved their city. I think that pretty much describes the church. It's a bunch of knuckleheads that are pulled together, work together, work hard to save their city. It's an honor just to have the ability to serve, to be called, to be asked. I know we can't do all do everything, but we can do something. And the something we cannot, the something we can do, we should not fail to do. I know we can't do everything, but we can do something. Let's do our something. And you know what that is better than anybody. So one, we have to understand it's a chance to serve. And what a blessing that is. Two, it's the blessing of being on the team. You know, I we just moved here and of course, COVID-19 hit. I, I haven't had a chance to even get my heart or my mind wrapped around any LA teams. You know, I still haven't forgiven the Chargers, but I realized I can't really throw rocks at them because I left San Diego too. So we all left San Diego. But, but, you know, I think about the Lakers. I mean, that's a pretty easy team to get behind. It's a pretty easy team to get excited about because they're the Lakers. You know, I mean, we, we lived in New York nine years. And in those nine years that we saw so many Yankees games and the Yankees went to the World Series three times, it was very easy to become a Yankees fan. Um, I think it's probably very easy to become a Lakers fan. Can you imagine if you won something and you got to be a member of the team for one season? And I mean, you know, I, mean, I, I know you can't play that. You can't be on the, on the court like that, but that you could just wear the jersey and sit on the bench with those guys. I mean, how cool would that be? Imagine putting on the jersey of the Lakers. I mean, you think about the incredible team that the Lakers have been. I I pulled up the slide with all these great heroes of the past that played for the Lakers. Just to wear the jersey would be awesome, would be incredible. God calling us to serve, God calling us to his church. We get to be part of the team. 
that is awesome. Whether I'm just a bench warmer or I'm a star player, I get to be part of the team. That's awesome. So when we get called, humility makes you just grateful to be on the team, that we get to be part of this. Thirdly, that we have the opportunity to play a part of something truly great. Okay, now I got the big group here, right? The the uh, the big stars, the Justice League that saves the world. You know what the real Justice League is? The people of God. The people of God who save the world. We get to be part of something incredible. Something amazing. We live not for what is seen, but what is unseen. We, we put our focus and drive into what really matters, what really counts, the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporary. And you get to be part of what God is doing in this world. That's incredible. We get to build his kingdom and advance it with love and service and kindness and grace and mercy and volunteerism and, and, and sacrifice and incredible. We get to be part of the church, which, which is for many people what they see. You know, when they think of the kingdom of God, I, I know it's not the kingdom of God, but that's what a lot of people look at is the church. So it's important that the church be shining, that the church be loving, that the church be a, a light in the city, you know, and we get to be part of that. So I think that's really important. And James 14 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Here's the incredible thing. It's that God will lift us up. We all want to have a great life. We all want to be blessed. Nothing wrong with that. The best blessings are not the ones we go out and fight for. It's the ones that God hands to us. It's the ones that God gives us. Those are the best. Those are what really matter in the long run. The things that really count. When we're all on our dying bed, considering our lives, I guarantee you, it's going to be the things of God that really matter to us. Our relationships, our love that we left in this world, the people we poured ourselves into, our legacy, our spiritual legacy, the people we could teach about God, our children, our friends, the people that we impacted for God. That's really what, ha- what counts. He says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, God is rich in grace and mercy and kindness. So I want to be blessed by him. You want to be blessed by him. So even how we serve and how we give of ourselves is very important. We do not do what we do for the Lord. Excuse me. We do what we do for the Lord, not for people. Don't serve for people. If you serve for people, you will be disappointed. If you serve so that people will thank you and appreciate you and hold you up and exalt you, people are going to forget. Sometimes they'll remember, sometimes they'll forget. And we'll be hurt. If we give and we sacrifice and we love so that people will give and sacrifice for us, we're going to get hurt. Because people, well, Jesus said he entrusted himself to no man because he knew what was in a man. Right? We give, it should be for God then it doesn't matter what people do. When we serve, we should serve for God. When we love, we love because God has loved us. When we give, we give because God has given to us. 
not because they might give something back. Because if they don't, we'll be hurt and we'll become bitter. I, I, I think there's a lot of people bitter. There's a lot of people hurt out in this world because nobody appreciated them and people didn't give back to them. I think that even happens in the church. There are people that give, 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 and then they become burned out because they weren't appreciated. And that's sad. It makes me think the focus was wrong. And I know we get abused, we get hurt. I've been there. I've <laughs> I've had I've served and then had that totally not appreciated in the past. I've been hurt by people who totally ignored. And that's really what made me realize I can't do this for people. I need to do it for God. And then I'm free. I'm free. Nobody can hurt me by it. Nobody can control me by it. I did, bro, I'm going to serve you and love you. I don't care what you do or don't do for me. It's for God. What we do, we do what we do that we may be what we want to be. I want to be a servant. So it doesn't matter if I'm served. All that matters is I have opportunities to serve. Because that's what Jesus has called me to be. Jesus, after he washed the disciples' feet, he said, do you understand what I did for you? Now you will be blessed if you do this. So go and do the same. I want to be that. I want to obey him. I know you do too. So do it to be like Jesus, not for anybody else. We do what we do to be what God called us to be. God said, whom shall I send to Metro? And I said, here am I, send me. And my wife did too. We want to be here because God wants us here. We believe that. We really believe that. We believe we live in Los Angeles now because God wants us to live here. We believe that we're doing exactly what God wants us to do. So I so appreciate all the gratitude and the, and the encouragement. Believe me, I really do. Every text, every note, every little thing from, from coffee cakes at my doorstep to text saying, love you, appreciate you. It, it all is super encouraging. But even if nobody did that, I'm here to serve. And so is my wife. Now, don't test me on that, okay? But I will pass it, though. I am here for you because God sent me here. And so is Michelle. And that's what we need to be. And you need to be here for me because God sent you. Because God is sending you. He is saying, whom shall I send? Who's going to help Los Angeles? I think it should be us. There's a great joy in humility. And Psalm 84, 10 says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. People want to have money and power and fame because they really think that's going to make them happy. <clears throat> Wrong. It's not going to make them happy. It's not going to be that great. What is great is feeling great about your life that you serve, that you give, that you love. And what's the best is when we do it for God and we do it to be what God has called us to be. And we go to bed with a smile on our face. And it doesn't matter what anybody else does. Just doesn't matter. In Luke chapter 5, he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours a new wine into an old wineskin. Otherwise, they, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into. No, 
new wine must be poured into new wineskins. If you ever seen a wineskin, probably a lot of you haven't because they're kind of rare. My dad was um, a wine, loved wine and, and um, was a bartender. So he had wineskins. And so I grew up around wineskins. And it's true. They're made out of leather. And when they get old, they dry up and they're crackly. They're stiff. So if you put a new wine in there, they'll expand and break and the wine will be lost. So you throw them away and you get a new one. It's kind of like the old say, the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know what I say? Don't be an old dog. Don't be an old dog. Be a new dog. It's got nothing to do with your age. It's got nothing to do with how long you've been around. It's got everything to do with attitude and with heart. Is that I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm learning probably more right now than I have in my entire life about Jesus, about God, about walking with God. It's exciting. It's exciting to me. I don't want to ever get where I'm not changing anymore, where I'm not growing anymore, where I'm getting crusty, where I won't adapt to changes, where I get stuck in my ways. I want this. This is the way I like it. This is the way I think it needs to be. And I'm not flexible anymore. I become an old wineskin when I'm like that. That's part of humility. Humility, it's staying fresh. Remember Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, you don't think about children. They have no baggage. They have no luggage. They, they, they just, they take life as it is. Everything is new and wonderful. You know what happens? Fast forward 40, 50, 60 years, and we can be so loaded down with baggage and luggage from the past. We've been hurt. We've been disappointed. We've been unappreciated. We've been disrespected. All those things. And then we don't want to serve. And we don't want to give. And if we serve, it has to be just a certain way. It can't be too far away. It can't be too many hours. It can't be too inconvenient. It's got to be convenient. It's got to fit in my, you know, whatever. Instead of that fresh, I want to serve. And I'm not, I'm not going to defend at all when people abuse service. That's wrong. There's got to be respect there and people should be appreciated and people who are serving should be treated with respect. That's the right thing. But I also don't want to be a guy who doesn't want to serve anymore because of problems in the past. Again, that's why you do it for God. That's why you do it to be who God has called you to be. That's why you do it for the Lord, to please him, not to please people. Not to look good, not to not to f- make everybody like you or or respect you. Now be free of that. Then you are truly free, because otherwise, what people think and what people do will control you, and you don't want to be mastered by anything. You just want to be free in God. And if you serve for God, you you sacrifice for God. Nobody can touch that. And if somebody doesn't appreciate or disrespects you, that's their problem. Because the Lord appreciates. God is not unjust. God sees what we're doing. He knows, right? Hebrews 6. Or is it 10? But anyways, God is not unjust. He sees what we're doing. He knows what we've done. 
and he knows all the way. And Satan is unjust, and Satan wants to make you feel terrible, makes you, wants to make you feel like an idiot, wants to make you feel like a fool. You fool, you've given all that money, all that time, you sacrificed, those people didn't appreciate you, they didn't thank you, they didn't respect you. And you know what my answer is? So what? God was watching. And the truth is, a lot of people do appreciate and do respect and are grateful, and their lives are blessed. Blessed in ways you may never know. You may never know. But God is watching, and he is not unjust, and he won't be fooled. The impact of humility, here am I, send me. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're, you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. You know, I think the ultimate act of humility, or one of the many ultimate acts, maybe not the ultimate, but an important act of humility, is being willing to be a good example. Willing to set an example for others. You know, leadership is, it's hard, it's challenging. You know that. It's a very difficult thing. We're all leaders at different levels. We're parents, we're leaders. If, you know, we live in a household, we're leaders. In a marriage, there's leadership. At work, there's leadership. We're all different levels of leadership, and it's hard to set a good example. It's an act of humility, being willing to be the one. I think leadership is really just being willing to suffer more, willing to stay longer, willing to get there first, willing to do a little more than most everyone else, willing to even suffer more than others people. But I want to say this, too, is that he, notice he says set an example. He doesn't say set the pace. And I think in our pride, sometimes we take setting example, meaning I got to be the best. I got to be better than everyone else. Again, that's comparing. He doesn't say you got to be better than everyone else. He says, set an example. I think, just me, I think Metro can set an example for all the LA church. I think Metro can be a fantastic region, a city on a hill, a light shining to this whole city. That doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. Doesn't mean we're a better church than any other church. Doesn't mean we're a better region than anybody. But it just means we're willing to be an example. We're willing to work hard, sacrifice, love, give, and do what's right for the Lord. Not for each other. Not for fame or glory. But because we love God. It's God-centered, not people-centered. And lastly, you know, we pray that his kingdom come and his will be done, right? Not ours. That's humility. I want whatever God wants. And I'll do whatever God wants me to do because I want his kingdom to come and his will to be done. I want things his way, not my way. His way. That's humility. Doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what does the Lord think. It's what he thinks. Oops, sorry. A couple more scriptures. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. You know, it's not easy. It means you got to suffer. It means sometimes we get hurt. It's okay. It's my gift to God because Jesus suffered. And I have not been, and I probably will never be called to suffer as much for him as he did for me. But what I can suffer, I will. And maybe I'll learn about being more like Jesus through it. Maybe I should. And if suffering is putting a few more hours in, driving a little farther, staying a little longer, carrying a few more boxes, helping out, then amen. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. And it's for the Lord, 
It's for the team, the kingdom of God. It's not for me, and it's not for people. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I want God to show us favor. How about you? I want him to show me favor in my life, my marriage, my family, my household, my future. How about you? Same thing, right? To show us favor. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. He doesn't always lift us up right away. Sometimes it may be years later. It's okay. And maybe it might not even be till heaven. You'll get an upgraded mansion. Amen. But cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the power of humility is freedom, joy, growth, success, perfection. Not perfection as in flawless, but as in the Greek perfection, teleosis, which is maturity, maturity. So that's our leadership training. That's a leader, but that's also a follower. It's also a disciple. You can't be a good leader if you're not a good follower. And a good follower is someone who learns to walk humbly before their God. You remember Micah 6, 8, he said, this is what the Lord desires, that we walk humbly before our God. So that's the lesson tonight. Uh, I want to thank you for listening and, and joining with us. And um, I just, again, I want to say, you know, Michelle and I are very proud of this region. And we're growing, we're learning, we're becoming, we're like a, we're like a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And that's where we're at right now. And let's, let's really set our hearts on being humble in your groups. You know, there's some good questions. What, what are the works of humility, the deeds of humility? You know, what, what, how can I be, how can I show my humility to God? What can I do for the Lord? What, what am I doing for people that I need to do for God instead? A couple of quick announcements. Uh, volunteers. We still need volunteers. Speaking of volunteers, I didn't, uh, time this for only this, but, it did bring it up. We still need people to be trained with the audio and the video. Um, we have some people. We have some great people, but we need some more. We need a team of people. So if you have that skill, if you have that interest, if you have that in your background, please consider serving in this way. There's a reason God gave you those skills. There's a reason God put you in that experience. But we don't want anybody serving that doesn't want to. We don't want any bad attitudes or angry servants. <laughs> Please, no. We want people who love God and want to give their hearts wholeheartedly. Uh, two, toilet paper. Big topic the last two months, right? Well, Kathy Verzi says that if you need toilet paper, give her a ring. She can get some to you. Thankful or thanks to the Newsoms. I don't know what you did, Newsoms, but thank you. Thank you for bringing toilet paper. Um, special missions collection. Uh, I want to be clear about this. This is for the poor in the church. This is not our missions collection in the fall. We will have our missions collection in October, probably around the 13th of October. We'll roll out a calendar here so we can have that. But, but special mission this week is to help churches around the world with brothers and sisters who are lacking basic essentials of life because of the pandemic such as food, such as, well, mostly food, honestly, but medicine, or they can't pay their rent, or they can't take care of their house, or something. It's it's pushed some disciples into emergency red zone. And, and so we're getting them, we're taking the collection. It will go 
to the churches to help them get through this time period. So that's what it's for. And it was from last Sunday to this coming Sunday. And then it'll be over, okay? Then we're then we'll be preparing for the regular missions, which is church planning and raising up leaders and all that kind of good stuff. And then the last thing is uh, th- this Sunday we're going to have a guest speaker, uh, Will Archer, a very good friend of mine. He and I are, are just kind of uh, brothers from different mothers. You know, we just we have a lot of the same heart and passion for the kingdom and for say, for for reaching out to the world and for serving the poor. So I'm super excited. He's gonna, he's making a sermon just for us. And that'll be part of our service. Will Archer from the Potomac Valley Church. So that's everything. God bless you. Have a great time in your groups. Good night. Thank you for joining us. I hope this has been educational and inspiring for you. If you'd like to know more, please join us by going to study.laicc.net. And we'll be happy to contact you and help you in any way we can. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.